0: Hi, welcome to the podcast, The Socially Inspired Investor, where you can expand your knowledge of rewarding investment strategies and address environmental and socially responsible investing alternatives with important insights from experts in the field. I'm Pat O'Neill. These programs feature ESG, environmental, social, and governance stories and focus, and deep-dive discussions with notable people in the industry. This time the topic, renewable energy costs getting cheaper every day. Also featured in companion articles in the Socially Inspired Investor Digest at sociallyinspiredinvestor.com. Many people believe that making the switch from fossil fuel-based energy to alternative and renewable energy sources is too expensive and impractical to become a reality on a large scale. But a lot of experts say the costs are coming down, making the transition very doable. So what is the potential impact for consumers and investors, and what will it take for many to finally take the plunge? Here with us to talk about that is Peter Fusaro, chairman of Global Change Associates. Peter has been on the forefront of energy and environmental change for almost 50 years, focusing on how to use energy more efficiently and in an environmentally friendly manner. He's the author of 17 books, including the bestseller, What Went Wrong at Enron? Peter, great to have you here. Peter, have the economics involving alternative and renewable energy really changed and improved over the years to the point that it is more affordable than in the past?
1: Yes. Ironically, NASA actually started the solar industry in the United States, the lunar buggy running around on solar fuel cells. However, that was a very expensive business proposition. Even up to 10 years ago, it was very expensive to deploy alternative energy, particularly for consumers. So in the last 10 years, we've seen solar costs go down 90 plus percent and wind power costs go down 65 to 70 percent. As that has occurred, I call it bending the cost curve, it's become Mm -hmm. affordable and globally dispatchable. So everywhere in the world today, there is solar uh, deployment. Everywhere in the world today, there is wind power deployment, including offshore wind. These wouldn't be economic without the innovation that has taken place over time and, frankly, the movement to making them more like commodities. So I see solar cells today as commodities. They were very expensive. Now they've become extremely inexpensive. And that's going you to know, happen in other verticals. I work on hydrogen. So hydrogen fuel cells, very expensive technology, no infrastructure. Why am I interested in hydrogen? The emission is water vapor. So these things take time for transitions. And right now, today, my opinion, the last couple of years, we've seen an inflection point in alternative energy. There's a lot more interest in this sector than ever before. And there is a lot of capital being deployed behind it. So it's actually a very good time to be in this business.
0: So the prices have come down largely because of the things that go into these items, or is it also a competition?
1: Well, it's, it's the competition, but also the innovation. You had right. highly inefficient solar cells. It wouldn't make economic sense. I mean, there are a couple of uh, buildings in Greenwich Village in New York City yeah. that basically have a payback of infinity. These were done over 20 years ago. There's no payback, and I've actually walked the rooftop. It's not affordable. It doesn't make sense for people to uh, finance or deploy capital.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, too, like an older couple, for example, and they get a pitch from a solar company and they'll say, you know, I'm not going to be around here in 20 years. Why in the world should I put solar panels on my roof? But you're saying that the payback happens a lot sooner these days.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, I've worked on projects in Europe where solar panels last 35 years under warranty. 35 so realistically, and I've done a little research for you on this, I would say depending on the price of electricity, and it's very expensive in New York, it's very expensive in California, it's not so expensive in other locales due to the energy fuel mix. But I would say 8 to 12 years is the payback period. Okay. Those are pretty substantial numbers, but the panels last 20, 25 35 years, you're basically moving closer to grid parity net zero quicker. On top of that, as everyone's well aware, we've seen a ratcheting up of natural gas prices now. Uh, some of that's the Ukraine war, but that's going to make the paybacks even shorter. So uh, what I'm getting at, that'll actually accelerate some of the paybacks on solar because of higher fossil fuel prices.
0: Well, do these innovations and the structural aspect of it, does everything have to be made from scratch or, say, in a building, for example, can it be retrofitted to uh, get it up to speed for alternative energy?
1: I've worked on building efficiency. I I created the first energy efficiency programs in New York City in the 80s with two utilities. Here's the problem. There's no space on the rooftop to really put solar panels. Huh. You can build it in construction. It's called building integrated photovoltaic. And we're putting it in the windows, skin of the building. But that's still an expensive business proposition. Uh, it makes more sense for office parks where you can site solar on the campus. It makes more sense to put this in communities where you can deploy solar for residential customers. But in cities, it's really a real estate. It's getting better. There will be better panels, more... Uh, efficient, more dense. It's called power density. There's sort of laws of physics also involved, not just the economics.
0: But you're saying the solar panel windows, that is an evolving process, those are getting better? A
1: couple of hotels in Soho. There is a school in Newark. uh, Miami Heat is is doing this for their Mm -hmm. stadium. It's sporadic. But in the beginning of any kind of market change, prices are high. There's less deployment of capital and infrastructure, and then it switches. We're we're still not there yet.
0: Okay. What about wind power, uh, onshore and offshore? Uh, How has that been changing?
1: Very expensive proposition, but the good news, offshore wind is really following the offshore energy industry that has platforms for oil and gas fuel. So they're repurposing that to basically build out wind power. So Ecuador is deploying $50 billion for offshore wind. And here in the Northeast, you're going to see offshore wind from Maine all the way down to North Carolina. Uh, why? It's not in line of sight. That disturbs some people. So these are offshore. You really don't see them. They're very stable. The structures attract fish. That's sort of an environmental benefit. Mm -hmm. And it will displace in the Northeast, particularly, home heating oil. So here in the Northeast, we still burn oil for home heating. No place else in the country does that. Other places, it will displace natural gas.
0: Wow. Are there ways, uh, dollars and cents, ways to see How much a a business or a consumer can pay or save by getting away from fossil fuel and going more toward alternative energy sources?
1: Yes, there are actually calculators on a number of websites. Uh, You can actually put in your energy bill. They calculate what it would be for solar, what the payback period would be, what the cost of panels. What's happened here is there are no money down plans now. You don't have to own the panels. You can lease the panels. Uh, yeah. You can buy the panels. So there's a lot of opportunity. And because it's become more of a consumer-friendly product, there are more competitors. So there are calculators on these websites. We just do Google solar energy residential customers, and it just pops up. The other thing is, over time, it's going to cost you nothing because right. it's uh, yeah. basically degradation of panels is a half percent a year. You just clean them with Water, they're pretty resilient. And I think that climate change and the resiliency issue is going to push this further because we've seen just tremendous fires in the West that's destroyed a lot. communities and uh, we've seen flooding. We've seen a lot of basically nature-based occurrences that are going to require a hardening of grid. And for consumers, particularly homeowners, uh, they're going to start looking at have a contractor come in, put the whole thing together and actually reverse the meter, sell back to
0: the Mm -hmm. grid as needed. I see. Well, as bad as climate change is, it seems like that could at least be one silver lining. if It wakes people up to the idea that they better do something about this in their own personal lives.
1: Well, I think Superstorm Sandy was a wake-up call for the Northeast. Katrina was obviously a wake-up call for New Orleans and the Gulf Coast. And I think the fires in the West were a wake-up call. And as I said, these are not expensive like they used to be. There are many innovative financial models. There are also something called PACE bonds, property-assessed clean energy bonds, which were created in California about 14 years ago. And they have something called Residential PACE, where they'll actually do the work that will be assessed on your property tax assessment. And this is a very innovative way to do energy efficiency and solar for homeowners. Now, not every state is offering residential pace, but it's one for innovation and finance that makes a lot
0: of economic sense. Mm -hmm. Have there been any, say, big events and watershed moments, so to speak, where companies have seen things happening, and consumers too, and they say, we better get moving on this? You're talking about climate change. Is there anything else that's involved in that mix?
1: I think if the impending SEC regulation of ESG, environmental, social, governance, and climate disclosure for all public companies in the United States, starting next year as the SEC goes through its rulemaking process. That is a seminal event that's going to happen. Well, a lot of people say it's going to bog down the courts, but they don't understand. I'm a former regulator in D.C. Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, has the regulatory authority to ask and command public companies to start reporting on their carbon footprint. And that's going to affect all private companies in the supply chain. So I think that is going to be catalytic. Some folks are going to get ahead of the curve to find their carbon footprint. There are software products available to do this. It's really the game changer,
0: in my opinion. Some companies certainly have been reporting more and more on their uh, ESG, but you say with this, they're going to have to do it, right? They're going to have that requirement.
1: It will be mandated.
0: Yeah. It seems like the United States maybe is a bit behind other countries around the world on the whole movement toward alternative energy. Is that true?
1: No. There's a tremendous misnomer out in the markets. Europeans are ahead. Yeah. And that's not true. First of all, all environmental law began in the United States, 1967 in California, 1970, Clean Air, Clean Water Acts. We have been actually the innovators. We were the first to address acid rain. We were the first to address urban ozone. We were the first to address things through markets. Mm-hmm. Where we've been remiss is we have not had a federal program on climate change. That's the failure. But that doesn't mean we haven't seen state-level incentives. Like here in New York, we have a Green New Deal. What is that? There's deployment of solar. There's deployment of wind. There's deployment of energy storage, incentivized by the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, ICERTA. So it's more state-level driven here. But you know, when you develop a technology, you can't not have a market for it. It doesn't make sense. So therefore, there is an addressable market that consumers, corporations have been doing. I'll give you an example. Okay. Renewable energy, the last three years has a hundred percent year on year growth in corporate America. Corporations are buying renewable energy. Mm-hmm. There is no mandate at all to do this. Why are they doing this? Because they can't attract young workers if they're not uh-huh. sustainable. Uh it's not just the Microsoft's and Facebook's and, and Googles, it's major corporations buying renewable energy.
0: Yeah. Are there a lot of people still, though, kind of have this pie-in-the-sky attitude about energy changes that it looks too difficult and might be too expensive, uh, too time-consuming, not really practical enough? Is a lot of that changing? A lot of that is evolving?
1: There's a lot of bad information out there. Folks Mm. don't see the mega trends, the bigger trends. I'll give you an example. Last year, clean energy was $755 billion deployed. That's according to Bloomberg New Energy Finance. In developing countries, it's 150 Mm billion. This is occurring globally. And there's just a lot of folks that are really out of touch that costs have come down. We can move quickly on renewables. It's basically what we call grid parity. It costs the same as coal, natural gas and nuclear. So I I just think there's a, a lack education. Also a bigger trend, which we call the energy transition. You're going to see large energy companies starting to move downstream into what utilities, into clean energy. Folks building the offshore wind or major oil companies, BP, Equinor, et cetera. These are not small companies. So they see the future. They're still going to be selling energy it'll just be clean energy. So uh, and that's not everybody, but there'll always be laggards in markets. But what I see directionally, globally, is a movement of capital into these products, into right. offshore wind, into larger scale solar farms. So, so there's kind of two markets. You have the consumer market, which can buy this or lease it, right. no money down, as I mentioned. And then the larger corporate market, we've never seen offshore wind in the United States before. Now it's coming.
0: We're talking with Peter Fusaro, chairman of Global Change Associates, about the increasing affordability of renewable energy. I wanted to ask you about the storage issues. I mean, we've been hearing stories for a while of batteries and so forth that the materials used to make these things are pretty expensive and the resources are dwindling, the rare earth minerals and all of that. Is that true? Is there a shortage of those kind of materials?
1: There's not a shortage yet. But, you know, when there's a need like that, there's innovation. So I've been involved with a company in Colorado using nanotechnology for lithium-ion batteries. It means they're going to use this for higher efficiency, lower heat, and more power density. I met recently with a company out of Quebec that's going to do mining of graphite and export that to the U.S. as well as Canada. Graphite's a known need. So, some of the metals that everybody's worried about are actually being developed. Also in Bolivia, huge lithium lakes, I'll call it. So, there's a lot of, hmm. of movement away from just dependency on the Chinese. There's a need to, you know, move to more strategic uh, means of getting these metals.
0: When the subject of electric vehicles comes up, we hear a lot about batteries and storage issues. Is there work going on that involves other possible solutions to drive non-gas-powered vehicles? Earlier, you said something about hydrogen.
1: Yes. So, 25 years ago, I rode in the fuel cell vehicle that cost a million dollars. Oh. About five years ago, Toyota invited me to Boulder, Colorado to a conference called Meeting of the Minds. They had gotten the cost down to 40K. So that's 25X reduction. It's now affordable. Every single original equipment manufacturer, Daimler, Volkswagen, Hyundai, Toyota, they all can make the vehicles for hydrogen. And I drove the hydrogen fuel cell vehicle around the Center two years ago. What I'm getting at, there's no infrastructure. So there, the good news is there's something called the Hydrogen Council in Brussels. 130 corporates are on. They're all working assiduously to get the price of hydrogen down. It's very expensive. Get it deployed globally. Now, why do we want to go there? Because the emission is water vapor.
0: Water vapor.
1: Yes. I literally got on the ground in Boulder to check to see if what the car was dripping out it was water vapor. That's where we need to go. The hydrogen economy can be married to solar. So it's solar plus hydrogen production, solar plus energy storage. So we need to go to hydrogen, but it's still an outlier. It's so expensive, lack of infrastructure. I believe there's 70 to 80 hydrogen fuel cell stations in the whole world. But here's the rub. The OEMs can make the cars. They're there. There's no market. And the numbers are de minimis, believe me. So that's where we need to go. So EVs kind of crowd out the space because of Elon Musk and Tesla. It's sexy. And I'll tell you the Tesla story because I like to have some fun. So I was invited to Capitol Hill, I guess, about 10 years ago. Yeah, why don't you get a ride with this car? So I got into Tesla with the Lotus body. And what they did was very clever. They got every congressman and senators to drive this car. I was in it, too, at 40 miles an hour at Capitol Hill. Okay, But the point is, it worked, and that's how he got his $500 million. So so that's kind of crowded the space out. I think what I'm talking about is going to happen, but there's no champion for hydrogen fuel cell people.
0: Will there be some ways that it will be possible to combine power sources, you know, into some sort of a grid system?
1: Not yet. I can show you pretty pictures of windmills and solar (laughs) farms, electric charging, and all that sounds wonderful. Sounds great. what I have learned is think, take time. I look at incremental change. First die that's been cast is we are seeing solar deployment in the U.S. to consumers around the world. And the second thing, we're starting to look at solar plus storage, advanced battery technology, a lot of science in battery technology. Same thing, get the cost out, make it affordable. Wind will be more of a community operation. So I mentioned community solar. So if you go to Colorado, which has 300 sunny days a year, you see solar farm community. In other words, you don't have to put this on your rooftop or ground map. It's already done for you and you just buy the energy. I see more of that occurring. So what you're describing is future. You yeah. look behind yeah. the, all these pretty buildings. They can be green. You can have green roofs. You can have uh, solar in the skin of the building when it becomes portable. You can have offshore wind. You can have all the pieces you're mentioning. They're coming together, but it doesn't happen. It's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. It doesn't happen all at once.
0: you got to put the pieces together. Okay. So alternative energy sources are getting more affordable. Is it going to get to the point here where people say, I can't afford not to do this?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to happen. Many years ago, I lived in White Plains and they brought these re- blue recycling bins out. And the only people on my block recycling myself and my neighbor who happened to be an engineer. A couple of years later, everybody was recycling. You know, the, in the age of high technology, I call it uh, word of mouth, high tech, high touch. I think people will talk about So I think as this becomes more mainstream, as the folks get more sensitized that, gee, I don't want to hurt the planet. Gee, Uh I can do something and get the same economic benefit. I'll give you an analog. Many years ago, I worked on the Prius 97, 98. Head of advertising came to see me and he said, Peter, we're spending a billion dollars a year and we're not selling sacrifice. We're going to change the technology under the hood. That's exactly what the Prius did. So I think you cannot sell anything that's negative to people. They don't want to hear it. Focus more on the benefits that's cost effective. You're helping the planet. You're employing people. There's a lot of benefits.
0: Yeah. You don't want everybody to feel guilty. And that's why that's,
1: that's why they're turning that way. I, I used to scare people 25 years ago. I started talking about climate change. That didn't work. So I stopped doing that.
0: So you think of it is getting to the point or will get to the point where we see alternative energy as the norm, not something all that unusual.
1: It will be energy. So let me give you another example. We don't burn oil in this country to generate electric power at power stations. We burn no oil, zero. We used to burn 3.8 million barrels a day of what we call residual fuel. oil. That's a change. That took time, but it move the needle to let their emissions don't burn oil. Same thing is going to happen here. Well, you know, right now, there's a lot of controversy about fracking and natural gas. We need the natural gas. We've shipped 30 cargoes of LNG to Europe to the ukraine Russia war. So it's a bridge fuel. It's available. The U.S. is going to be building more passive as Qatar will, on exportation of natural gas. The U.S. also exports oil. The U.S. is the largest oil exporter in the world, larger than Saudi Arabia and Russia. People don't understand how big we are. We are the most blessed country in the world with fossil fuel resources. and We're also the most blessed with alternative energy resources. We have large swaths of land for solar and a lot of wind in the Midwest, particularly in the Rockies. There's a lot of opportunity here to harvest this, but transitions take time. And we're talking, you know, a huge business, energy, $6 trillion. It's going to take a couple of decades, and it's moving.
0: Yeah, but you sound overall pretty optimistic about how things are going and how things are going to be.
1: Well, you know, my whole career has been devoted to air quality getting the lead out of gasoline, working on efficiency, working on the Prius. I'm now working on something else that's focused on mobile source reduction. So it's very important people frame the environmental issue as health care. I think focus more on the benefits than sacrifice. Now, Nine million people died of air pollution last year. That's a very vast statistic. Wow. And so if you can clean up the air through clean energy, there are numerous environmental benefits that aren't costed out at all. How do you value a human life? So I, I'm actually quite excited because I see so many young people and new technology companies. And I, I get inquiries three to five a week of companies I've never heard of uh, because you know I run my event once a year, the Wall Street Green Summit. So once a year in New York, what I see are a lot of good people. Not all of them are going to get to the you know, main event. Some are going to fail. But there's a lot of energy, no pun intended, behind that. So I'm actually quite enthusiastic about the future, despite the obvious deleterious effects of climate change. They're not going away. We can't solve problems.
0: Well, Peter, it's been great having you with us today. I think you've answered a, a lot of questions, provided us with a lot of information.
1: Well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thank you. We've been talking with Peter Fusaro, Chairman of Global Change Associates. Peter has been on the forefront of energy and environmental change for almost 50 years, focusing on how to use energy more efficiently and in an environmentally friendly manner. You can register to receive the Socially Inspired Investor Digest and podcast, there's no fee, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. This podcast is copyrighted by Seasons of Advice Wealth Management. It is published and provided for informational and entertainment purposes only and not for individualized investment advice. Please go to our website, soawealth.com, for additional information. We'll be back next time with more ESG stories in focus and another deep dive discussion and companion articles in the Socially Inspired Investor Digest. Our podcast mission is to make socially inspired and ESG investing more consumer-friendly and achievable. This is The Socially Inspired Investor.